0: out of the pulpit for two weeks, which it's a really long time for for a guy who likes to preach, right? It's, just, it's, man, I see it from a distance, and I miss it, and so I'm really excited to be back, but what's also amazing is I get to sit in, in the congregation with you guys and just learn from other people that get to come up here, and uh, and so when last week when Anthony got to come up and preach, I man, there was there was a lot that really convicted my heart and soul last week. That really is important for us today, and, and I want to point out a couple of those things that before we jump into the text. And the first one is this: I, I really love this idea of who are you wearing. Okay, Um, and if you weren't here last week, that was the question that really Anthony was asking us: Who are you wearing? That kind of idea of like when you before the red carpet, right? The red carpet entry into the award shows—it's always who you're wearing, and and whatever you're wearing kind of symbolizes and speaks to your status, uh, maybe your character, whatever it is. Whoever you're wearing communicates a lot about who you are. Okay? And so he began to ask the question, well, who are we wearing as Christians? Like, if we love Jesus, the Bible calls us to putting on Christ. Put on Jesus. Wear Christ. Embody who he is. And so I began to think about that even a little more this week. And as we approach Halloween, okay, as, as we get closer to this holiday where many of us will dress up in the most ridiculous costumes we can think of, right, and then we'll go out the door and everything we do now is seen through the lens of the character that we've put on. So I was thinking about this week, right? There was a party back in college that I went to, and I dressed as a pirate, okay? Because I think, uh, what was that movie? Pirates of the Caribbean was popular, so I was doing some weird these things and stuff like that. And so Pirates of the Caribbean, so I was a pirate. So what did I do? I embodied what it meant to be a pirate. So everything I did that night ended with R, you know, and, and I began to walk around different parties and just start taking stuff from people. And I would go... Pillaged, pillaged, like over and over. Just walk pillaged. And here's the thing, right? If I did that with no costume, I get punched in the face. But on Halloween, in a pirate costume, they go, oh, well, he's a pirate. That makes sense, okay? In the same way, okay, that many of you in a few weeks' time will put on a costume and we'll kind of begin to embody what it means to be that character for an evening. This is what we're called to do 24-7 with your entire life, is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ that in every action and everything you do, you embody his character, his actions, his heart, his mind, and his beliefs. That's what we're called to do. See the world now through the lens of a new character. Not your, Listen, don't, don't remove yourself, but yourself through the lens of Jesus. And that changes things with the way that we treat people. It changes things with the way that we act. Okay. And so here's what I find interesting about today's text. So we turn into Romans 14. Okay, what I find interesting about this text is that if we actually did that right, if we actually, as Christians, if the church got this, if we began to put on the Lord Jesus and embody his character and who he was, I don't think Romans 14 is necessary. Wait, the, 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 uh, the imperatives that we'll read and look at today become not needed to be said because we are already going to be living out the way Christ would live these things out. And so it changes things for us today. And so we're going to look at these two imperatives throughout verses 1 through 12. The first one is don't judge. Now, you hear that, and many of you right now are really excited, right? Because you're like, wait, that's right. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me, right? Don't judge lest you be judged. And every other cultural line that wants to be thrown out there about why Christians are not to judge one another, that is not what's being said today and we'll get into the nuances of what that looks like, but okay. But we are called not to judge in the context that we'll, we'll understand today. Okay? Um, the second one is don't quarrel. Now, here's what's funny with the word quarrel, is everyone else says it quarrel or something else, but it's quarrel, right? How do you guys say quarrel? Quarrel. quarrel. Quar- say quarrel. 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 Okay, so Beforehand, we were praying, and someone said that I was mispronouncing it. Am I? No. Whoever you were. Okay? The second imperative is don't quarrel. Okay? Don't fight. Don't bicker with one another. Now, this one isn't that tough for us to look into our own lives and look at the little things, honestly, that we fight and we bicker with each other about. Don't quarrel, and say don't quarrel over opinions, don't quarrel over these things, and and I came up with a few, and there are vast amounts of these things that we fight over, but I came up with three this morning that I think are what the text might be talking about in our present time, okay? Okay? And there are three Ps, because again, I'm a preacher, and that's what we do. One is politics. I feel like we debate and fight over politics all the time. We bicker over it, and we get into this. you got to be this or that, and we're going to spend more time on that. The next one is parenting. I feel like now being a parent, I'm hearing it all the time. There's a specific way you have to parent. There's a Christian way to parent. There's a Christian way to vote. There's a doesn't happen. The last P is... Presence. In other words, what is the Christian presence in the world today? How do we as Christians engage and how far should we go? How far do we get into the world but not become of the world? And there's a lot of debate about whether or not we should be in it, of it, what does that look like? And so we'll look at those three things in the midst of Paul pointing out two of the major cultural distinctions that are happening in the Roman church that are causing friction and quarreling. And hopefully we'll then learn in the midst of this that we are called not to quarrel and not to judge because of God and not because of anything else. Okay, so let's do it. Verse one, okay, verse one. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. I love this text, so it says, okay, so if you're gonna invite someone into your house, invite them in, but don't invite them in just to fight with them, which presupposes this was happening, which just sounds terrible to be in this church. Hey, man, you want to have dinner? Absolutely. Hey, dude, you suck, right? That I mean, welcome him in, but don't fight over anything. Who does this? this? Honestly, when Nate and Maria decided to tell us that they were moving, they showed up at the house with dinner and beer, right? Like a kiss from Judas. Just, <laughs> hey, hey, we're out, you know? Welcome them in. But as you practice this hospitality, there's a way that you go about it where you don't do this just to get a platform to bicker about your issue, okay? This is not about you. It's not about your issue. It's not about your opinion, okay? We have to set aside some pride here for a moment, which I know is tough for us to do, but set aside this pride that this is about us and our opinions and being right all the time. That's not what this text is going to tell us, Okay? So as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome, but not to quarrel over opinions. This, this first line is going to set the frame for the next 11 verses. These three things. First, faith is given in varied measure, which is a surprise to some of us. What does that mean? Faith is given in varied measure? There are those in the church with stronger faith than others. Okay, that's just a reality from the Bible. That doesn't mean anything about your value, hear me. That doesn't mean you're loved by God more or less by God. Listen, we all have faith, but some's faith is stronger than others, and it enables certain ways to interpret and view and live out the commands of Scripture. Okay, we have to get that. Secondly, faith is not a reason for division. So even in the midst of this, we don't bicker, we don't fight over these matters. Three, we are not to argue and fight over opinions specifically. Now, here's when we get into opinions, the things that we're going to talk about today, the things that Paul is addressing, or we like to call opinion-based doctrine. So doctrine, right? something to be true about God, theology, something that is true about our Savior, all of that uh, opinion-based doctrine is not helpful. When we approach the Bible and we begin to take what the Bible will call debatable matters and we put theological uh, no hold—it's—it's—it's it's, it's absolute, even though the Bible doesn't make it absolute. That's not okay. And this is the stuff that we tend to fight about in our churches today. We major in the minors, and so we find significant division and disunity because we've taken things that the Bible gives us principles on guidelines, rails that we live inside. Think of the, vi- the, the, the vision of a sandbox, right? There's four walls to a sandbox, and you can do anything you want in the sandbox, but stay inside the box, okay? So there are big things, bucket things that we care about, but then there's a lot in there where it's like, man, listen, there's a whole lot of brilliant people that think a whole lot of brilliant different things, and to fight and quarrel over them is not helpful, And so we don't judge and we don't quarrel through that lens. Hear me? Okay? So, (coughs) excuse me. Let's go to verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Um, Who here is a vegetarian? Don't be shy. There's one. Mitchell, where are you at? I know you're in here. Two? So maybe we've got, what, five here, five vegetarians, that are weak and (laughs) puny. Okay? (laughs) Okay? And, no, it's okay. So, um, let me be clear what the Bible's saying here. Okay? If you're a vegetarian today, your faith is probably not weaker than those that eat meat. Okay? It might be, though. Okay? What's Paul trying to say here? Because this is kind of a random statement outside the context of knowing where he's going. Okay? He's like, listen, if you eat meat, yeah, your faith is great. Which makes sense. If you don't, not great. Okay? And so let's, let's look at why he, he says this. It's, it's funny because Mitchell, he's one of our interns. Uh, we, we do this thing called Preaching Collective every Friday morning, and, uh, and Mitchell is a vegetarian. And so we come across this verse, as he's prepping with us, and we just look over at him. And he's like, wait, what? Like, what? Uh, and, and so I said, yeah, no, that's what it says. Uh, verse three. Verse three, what's he talking about? Let not the one who eats meat, okay, despise the one who abstains, the vegetarian, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, so vice versa, for God has welcomed him. So the first debatable matter, the first opinion-based doctrine that has been adopted here in the church that is not okay is about food. And it's about dietary restriction. So if we go back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament God gave a whole bunch of rules to what the people of God, Israel, should live by. Many of them were dietary restrictions. Many of them concerned what meats were deemed unclean and what meats were deemed clean. And so we zoom into the New Testament, and so people are asking the question, can we eat this meat that was once deemed unclean? And so Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 7. He says in verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And so last night, our staff team was at Outback, and with every bite of juicy red meat, I thanked God for Mark chapter 7. Okay? Now here's what's going on. Old Testament, these were unclean. Jesus comes in and says, listen, that's not what's defiling you. That's not the greater issue. Clean now. So what's happening in the church in Rome at this time, as Paul writes, is that there are the strong who believe that the dietary restrictions have been taken away and they can eat whatever they like. Then there's the weak in faith who are still tied to an Old Testament understanding of what the Bible's communicating about unclean and clean foods, and so they will not eat out of fear of probably sickness and or godly retribution. Okay, those two things. And so he says, listen, this does not determine value. This does not mean that God loves you more or less, but it means if we read Scripture and if we place our faith in what Christ has now said, you can eat whatever you want to eat. Okay? So the question then becomes not necessarily about this specific issue. That's why my friend here and, and you over there and Mitchell, you guys are not necessarily weak in faith if you trust Jesus with everything that he said. If you believe that Christ, as he has come into the world and declared the things he's declared, if you abide in those, believe in those, live those out, your faith is just fine. That's not this debate here. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, when we ask ourselves that question, man, do I look and read and understand and interpret and live out the commands of Jesus all the time? The answer would probably be no. Because we have questions, we have doubts, and so that is the faith, that is the strong, weak faith dynamic that's being spoken about here today. Okay, not specifically about you vegetarians who are missing out significantly. Okay? But I love you. Verse four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him. Stand And so where does Paul land? He's just created this kind of, this strong, weak dynamic on this first example, this first opportunity to call out the people in the midst of their faith. Where does Paul land? Neither. He doesn't pick a side here. He doesn't say, well, this person is better than this person, that this person's faith is better than this person. There is this strong, and we're going to get into that strong, weak dynamic a little bit more just towards the end here, but he doesn't choose. He doesn't say, you're in and you're not in. He says, no, listen, who are you to judge this person based on a debatable matter? Who are you to judge that person based on an opinion-based doctrine? That's not your role. Why? Because you're not your brother's master. You're not your sister's master. That is reserved for God alone. Let God judge that. Let God judge in these debatable things. Stop trying to take his job description. Okay. Because each and every one of us, at the end of time we're going there, will be held accountable to God and God alone. To God and God alone is where we'll have to think through this, okay? So verse 6, verse 5, excuse me. Mm -mm. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul's second example, then the second thing that's culturally happening in the church in Rome is that there's a lot of debate then, not just about food, but also about the days, Okay, specifically that some days are more important than others. So the weak would say some days, uh, specifically the Sabbath, is a more holy, more sacred, more important day than the other six. Paul, though, says, no, the strong in faith realize that every day is equally sacred, equally holy, and there is not one day that is better or more important than another. Okay? And so this, again, is the dynamic that's set up because New Testament, we are set free from this Old Testament covenant and law and moved into a gospel of freedom that allows us to understand on a holistic level that everything that we see and do every day, everything you eat is sovereignly apportioned by God and good and sacred. we got to get this. Because if we begin to think that something is better than other, that's when quarreling, that's when fighting, that's when uh, all of these little issues begin to raise themselves up, and we fight, and we bicker, and guess what? We hurt ourselves, and we hurt witness to the world. Because then they look into the church where there's supposed to be unity, and there's supposed to be peace, supposed to be love, right? We'll be marked by the way that we love one another, those type of things. They look into this place, and they see nothing but fighting and division, and they begin to ask... Why do they even believe that craziness? They don't even live it out. These become bigger issues for the church today, (coughs) excuse me, in my opinion, okay? And so um, why is this happening, right? Um, Paul says that in the midst of this, as you're navigating these opinions, what is a necessary piece to this is understanding that each and every person is God's, okay, that's his master, but then has also been indwelt by the Holy Spirit who moves and breathes inside of them and convicts as he wills, okay. So Christian, if you're here and you love Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in your heart so you know that as you walk this path, as you walk this journey, the Holy Spirit, your conscience, convicts you of that which is right and wrong in these debatable matters, and you must abide by your own conviction. Okay. But you don't take that conviction and have to make it everyone else's. In these opinion-based doctrines. Again, in these specific issues. We're going to talk about, again, we're going to talk about the sin part of this in just a moment. But in these debatable matters, you must live by your conviction. But it is not your mission it is not your job description to make everyone else live by your conviction also. Okay. Got to get this. Got to get this. This is bigger than us. It's bigger than even your individual moments. This is a communication to the world about who Christ is in the way that we treat one another. Okay? Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So why is this playing field leveled? Why, even in the midst of this strong, weak dynamic, is Paul saying, hey, listen, don't debate, don't fight, don't try and convince each other of these debatable matters. It's because the Christian, as motivated and moved by the conscience of the Holy Spirit in their life, is doing this to honor and glorify God. So this becomes kind of the second test and litmus test for us as Christians, as we look at one another, is what they are doing Honoring and glorifying God, is it? If it's not, we probably have leaped over this debatable matter line and into sin and into things that are tearing down and defaming the name of Jesus. And that is something that we are called to judge one another on. We are called to convict, point out, expose, let each other know in grace and in love. Right? Don't go screaming it. Right? Don't come up here and point out someone's sin. But you go to them, you approach them in love. You say, "This is not okay because I have a full understanding of the brokenness of sin and how it's going to hurt your life and hurt the kingdom of God." And so, I'm not going to let you do it. That's okay. That type of judgment is all over the scripture. It's all. Oh, it's called accountability. We must decipher between these two things. Listen, there's a lot of stuff being held in tension here. What's a debatable matter? And, and what is just sin? What is something we need to just snuff out? It's tough. It's a tough navigation, but praise God, we have the Holy Spirit. Praise God, we have one another. Community becomes a big piece of this as we rely on one another to see clearly these things that although individually might be hard to see, together we can see clear. And so, community, the church, all of this is extremely important in this process. Now, um, I want to talk about, go back to those three P's, the things that we tend to fight about a ton today. The political thing is very interesting to me because I grew up not a Christian, but in a, in a pretty strong right wing Republican household. I, I mean, significantly. Like, we had, like, Rush Limbaugh stickers, just his face on my car, okay, and so, um, and so, you know, uh, not rush, but, but that became then part of my identity when I became a Christian, so this was something that was ingrained in me from an early age, you had to vote Republican, okay, then I brought that into Christianity, and so then I thought everything the Republicans are doing is good and graceful and merciful and perfect, everything the Democrats doing are terrible, and as some Democrat, right, that was, one of the things I was pointed at this week. And that was the dynamic with which I, I viewed politics. I was bringing in, here, I was bringing cultural values, worldly viewpoints, into my faith, and allowing that to trump what the Bible told me about the principles I should actually care about. Okay. The political thing is very confusing. But let me tell you this, there is not a Christian way, or right, there is not a Christian party to vote for Okay? It doesn't exist until it's Jesus and Satan on the ballot. Then you should vote for Jesus. Okay? Um, it, it's not there. Okay? It's just not there. So listen, we're coming up on elections here in, in what? Like a month? There's not, there's not candidates on there that are better choices because of their inherently Christian values. You have to, that listen, the Christian way to vote, the Christian way to engage politics is to be informed, okay? Be informed, spend time, learn, understand the issues, do all of that, and then vote your conscience as dictated by the Holy Spirit, okay? That's one. The second one is, uh, is parenting. Now, I, I just became a parent only uh, seven and a half weeks ago, so uh, I have very little experience in this. But even so, as I've begun to have more and more conversations and ask a lot of questions and go onto a ton of blogs, what I found is that there are people that are extremely passionate and polar in the way you're supposed to raise your child. And if you don't raise your child that way, you're not raising him the way the Bible tells you to or the way that a Christian should raise their kid. And so you get into discipline, right? That becomes a pretty hot-button issue. You get into homeschool versus public school. Over and over and over, there's these issues and amongst parents. And, and listen, we've got a growing parent population here. I just want you to know, there is not inherently a Christian way to parent in every single thing. There are principles. There is a sandbox. Abide by these things. Teach your son the word. There, listen, discipline is there. There's some debate in there as well, but listen, there's rails to this. There's not a Christian way. There's not a more Christ-centered, gospel-centered way to discipline than another. And I know that's going to shake some people. And that's something that we're not even going to get into that. But that's one of the things that I found that we tend to fight about all the time. It happens in the church a ton. Across churches. Well, you guys do this, and you run things this way, and on and on and on, and that's, that's not healthy. And so, um, again, that's not that's a debatable matter. Okay. Um, the third one is, uh, is presence. And this one's a, a big one for me, because it, this talk about what does it mean for us to be Christians in this world is a big issue, because you've got people on one side that say, listen, we don't want to be defiled by the world, And so we will try and stay away to abstain from the world so they will not tarnish our holiness and our righteousness. And listen, at the heart of the matter, those are good things. We don't want to succumb to sin. We don't want to succumb to temptation and be like the world is. That's okay. But we've taken it too far. And we said, I'm going to be over here and, and, and the world's going to be over there and we'll kind of look at them and judge them and say that all their stuff is bad and all of our stuff is good and they're going to hell and we're going to heaven and we build this chasm between us and them and create a, a broken highway with which we will never be able to engage culture in a way that will reach them for the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've swung Many of us, this pendulum, this direction. If you go back to New Testament time as Jesus is there, there was a group of people called the Essenes, and this is exactly what they did. They said, okay, man, we know Jesus is coming back. He just left. He said he's coming back. And so the Essenes packed up everything, moved out to the desert, and just waited. They just waited. They didn't want to talk to anyone. They didn't want to engage anyone. So they said, I'm just going to be over here. You guys do your thing, and then we'll be fine. Not the right way. The the other pendulum to go this direction is to say, no, 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 We, we should not care about, we should sacrifice even some of our righteousness, some of the holiness that we are supposed to have in order to go to places and see things and take part in things that allow us to be great cultural engagers, and so I know some friends that are like, man, no, I will go to and sit in and spend time at a strip club for hours on end so that I can reach the people in the strip club. And I say, okay, I get that, but for you to sit there and expose your hearts and expose your eyes and engage with an industry that is creating brokenness all across the world is not okay. And so many of us have swung this other pendulum in this direction and said, I will sacrifice these things for the sake of. Those are rails. We can go too far with these debatable matters, surely, where we get into sin. But there's a whole lot of room to play in between. Okay. Um, there's a Christian, well, I even I shouldn't even have said that, but there's this rapper, and his name is Lecrae. Okay, and a lot of people have heard of Lecrae. At this point, it's had the number one album on iTunes first time a Christian hip-hop album, and I keep saying Christian as if there's this delineation, but he is a Christian who does hip-hop, okay? It's the number one first time ever, okay? And a lot of people have come out against him to say he should not be in that world. He has watered down his lyrics, and in so doing, is no longer really a Bible follower, Although, man, when you begin to spend some time and engage, and I, I love Lecrae, I'm kind of a fanboy, it's awkward, and uh, I, I just, I think the stuff and the engagement and the way he's doing is, is phenomenal. See, there's, there's debate in this, but even the debate about how we are to engage the world is not something that we're supposed to be fighting about. So if you are around someone who's, you're sitting in a little circle, right, and you're like, you hear this, it starts off, can you believe, and then they insert a name, right? Can you believe Teresa? Went to that party. Wearing that, right? And, and so that's gossip, and that is sin, okay? And here's the thing, we laugh. Those type of discussions are on the lips of all of us, and I've, I've heard them in the lobby, I hear them in meetings, we are very quick to judge on these debatable matters. And it often comes in the form of gossip with one another. Can you believe they're not, they haven't been to church in three weeks? Hell, they're going to hell. <laughs> huh? Listen, I hear this stuff. Listen, it's not debatable matters. This stuff is important, guys. I know it, we can read it and speak, like, okay, well, why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because even at this time, people were looking to the church for hope. They were looking to the church for love. They were looking to the church for peace. They were looking to the church for something different than what the world was offering. And I tell you what, we find ourselves when we debate like this over stuff that the Bible calls debatable, we are not servicing the world the way we're supposed to. We will not have the impact that we wish to have in the unbelieving community of Flagstaff, which is significant, if we find ourselves in this room fighting over stuff like that, okay. Let's keep going. Okay, verse seven. <clears throat> um, these last uh, these last like five verses, I, I want to caveat with this: the, my my fear is okay is that in the, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of okay, well, it's opinion, and so I can I can kind of fudge the numbers a bit and I can, I can do a little bit more than I thought I could do and, and it's okay, it's opinion so don't judge me based on opinion and, and all this that we would move too far right? that pendulum would swing too far and we would forget that in the midst of this here's what I think Paul is ultimately doing with this text I believe that this text more than anything is a call to, di- to radical discipleship for the church I believe that this text is a call to radical discipleship for the church Okay, and he's going to give a couple of reasons why. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We will never understand what it means as a community to love each other in the midst of debatable matters if we don't get that Christ is Lord of our lives. That's got to be primary. That Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. We always go Savior. We love Savior. And we even use the word Lord, I think, a lot of times in prayer. But we've, we, we miss its meaning. If Jesus is Lord in your life, that means he has ultimate authority to tell you what to do. And if he has ultimate authority, let's see this. When I realize that Christ has ultimate authority, I've I've allowed that, or I've said that, you're my Lord, and then I look at my body of work, I find myself wanting pretty significantly. There's a disconnect to this. I have to get this better if I want to stop bickering and fighting over debatable matters with my friends, with my family, with my wife, with my church, on and on and on, whatever those relationships are. Christ is Lord of your life. He can tell you what to do. I believe this is a call to discipleship more than anything. It's couch. Again, a book ended in these ideas. Put on Jesus. Look like Jesus. Wear Jesus. Embody Jesus. Fast forward to the end of this passage, right? Let the Lord Jesus Christ be your Lord. Let him be everything to you that in everything you do, whether you live or whether you die, everything you do is for his name and by his spirit. And the second reason, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Okay. The second reason why I think this is just an ultimate call to discipleship is because when Christ left in Matthew 28, he calls the church to go and to make disciples of all nations, right? Teaching them, baptizing them, moving them down this path to look more like Jesus because we're headed to a day at the end of time where the God of the universe will judge us based on our lives and our actions, which is crazy to think about. That as we sit here today and as we think about that day, where does our heart go? I think some of us might trend towards fear this morning. Man, is that really gonna happen? Is, is, is that really I mean, am I really gonna stand before the God of the universe and have to give an account of my life? And maybe that, maybe that kind of brings up some fear in you. Maybe it brings up some anxiety. Some of you, you're just like, man, I'm super holy. I'm perfect. I'm excited, right? You're just like, no, nah, sinless. Um, I was thinking about this week in high school. This great. I got my best friend Matt in here, so he'll love this story. But in high school, we had this uh, football coach, strength and conditioning coach, and he was just like the epitome of of what you would think a man should be, right? So just just really fit, right? He had, like, the all-black hair but had, like, gray stripes because, like, very Clooney-esque, just very cool. Um, I mean, this guy, he listened to George Strait and country. I mean, this dude was just, he was like a man's man, okay? And he was also the most intimidating guy. Like, I mean, just the most intimidating coach at our school. And for whatever reason, I think it's because I never took anything seriously, he he seemed to have it out for me from time to time, okay? And so there's this moment where we're at the gym and we're working out and I'm, you know, I'm throwing up 450, 500, something like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, you know. And uh, I'm taking weights off and he had this, he had not too many rules for the weight room but one of them was do not drop the weights, right? Do not drop the weights. Drop the weight, right? A little five pounder, you know what I mean? And if you've ever seen things, very small, we are on this side of the gym, okay? Coach Sands, way on that side of the gym. I drop a five pound weight. I kid you not, this thing bounces off the ground and rolls, and rolls, like around here. Like went around the squat rack, right? Went underneath D'Amico's uh, feet, came over here, right? Matt kicked it. I mean, it just gets all over, and here's Coach Sands. And He's just on his clipboard, hits him in the foot, right, all the way across the room. Right, some of you guys, that was great. I looked over and he's like, "Oh God!" <laughs> like you guys, you guys are like more scared than I was. And it rolls across, hits him in the foot. I swear to you, before he even, I think, before he even looked up, I think he knew it was me. Right, he's like, "This has, this has gotta be Garvey." Uh, and so he hits him in the shoe, and he just looks up with the gray strips, and puts out one finger, and says, "Garvey, come here." Fear of God. Okay? I'm talking like, what's about to happen? Okay? I'm going to die. Okay, and so here's, and so I go, and it and, and ends up being fine. I tell this story. Because even in the midst of this moment where this, one, I mean, this is this like the biggest rule in the gym, do not do this, and I do it, and it, it hits him in the shoe of all places it could hit in the gym, right? And in all this moment of all the fear that could be there, there was this existing fear in me because I knew Coach Sands was an intense guy, but I also knew a lot of other things about him as well. And I knew that he wanted what was best for our players, and I knew that the rules that were set up for the gym were set up for our good and our safety, not because he just wanted to have rules. I knew that he was a man of integrity. He was a man that was seeking to care for the boys that were lifting there and part of the team that we would become men. I believed and trusted in the fact that he was trying to make me better than I was before. If you're here, and you love Jesus, and you've spent some time, listen, just getting into the word of God, his character, his action should be proof enough for you that even in the midst of a final day judgment, you might sit in some momentary fear and anxiety, but you can rejoice because you know greater things about God. So this morning, if, if listen, in this call to discipleship, here's, here's what I know, that as we try and do this better, you're still going to bicker and fight for the rest of your life. You will constantly find things to argue over with the closest people and the farthest people in your life. It's just going to happen. In this pursuit of discipleship, we know that down the road there is judgment, but we sit uncondemned because of Christ. So that's, listen, that's why we're here. That's why we get here every Sunday morning. Yeah, we learn from the Bible. We are here to worship Jesus. We are here to make much of the gospel because we don't deserve it, and yet we're recipients anyway. We must see all of this call to discipleship through the lens of the gospel that says try again. I love you. Love you too. I love you. I want what's best for you. And, and, and the rules that I've set up, the rails that I've set up, they're there for your good and for your growth. And so don't fear them. Allow freedom and grace to exist in each other's lives. Okay. Don't be afraid because God, God ultimately is going to judge this situation. Okay. But praise God for Jesus this morning. That as we sing if you're here and you love him you you sit and you stand and you sing forgiven and uncondemned before him. And that the day of judgment is not a day of fear and trepidation but a day of rejoicing and gladness because it is the inauguration of a kingdom where there is no tear, there is no fighting, There is no debatable matter. There's just Jesus. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, just start off by saying, uh, I I repent and confess my own inadequacies in this department. God, one, to always be right. Uh, assuming that I always have the corner on what's best and what people should think about and do with their lives. have got to repent of my own pride, which is often driven by insecurity, Lord, and I ask that you would forgive me, you'd forgive all of us as we um, just seek to look more like Christ this morning. God, I pray that you give us vision for our lives, vision for the things that are currently in existence there, Lord, that you'd rather not be there. God, that you would call us to a rattle, radical pursuit of discipleship. That Holy Spirit, you would convict our conscience, God, to stay within the bounds of Scripture and then to love those who might even disagree with exactly what that looks like. God, give us grace, give us hope. God, give us mercy. Lord, and allow us to be united, not just here at Redemption Church, but the church here in Flagstaff, the church in Arizona, the United States, and the world. So God, as the world would look upon our people, upon your people, they would say, man, they just seem to disagree about a lot of things, but man, do they love each other really, really well. God, forgive us for the times that we don't do that the way you'd call us to do it. And lead us in the way of the gospel and of your spirit. It's your name we pray. Amen.